Thanks, Will. Uh, those of you who haven't met, my name's Jim Genesee. I'm the other pastor of our church. Charlie is preaching up the hill, and I am down the hill today. So we had a little uh, freaky Sunday, a little swap going on this morning, but I bring you greetings from your friends, your sisters and brothers at Big Church, as we say, here at Starkville First United Methodist Church. Um, always good to hear Will and the band. Glad y'all were still at it. Keeping Zach in the cage, that's a good thing. And also, back in the back, I see Lisa and Dawn hard at it, and thank y'all for your hospitality as well. I have one special shout-out I need to make this morning. My wife, Margaret, gets to come with me pretty often. Margaret's there, wave, wave, Margaret. But my son, Mike, and my grandson, Jax, are here today, who they don't get to come very often, so we're glad they're here. And uh, shout-out to Mike and Jax for being here. So it's Thanksgiving week, right? Anybody getting ready to uh, head home and go visit some family or friends for the holidays? As you're thinking about that, I want you to think about this. This is from Colossians, the second chapter, beginning verse 6. Paul writes this. Now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow deep, deep into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, open our minds to these words and open our hearts to the living word of Christ that we may be changed today and forever. Amen. So how do you say thanks when somebody does something for you? One little boy was with his mom at the park and there was an older man sitting on the bench and the little boy was playing around and old man reached into his lunch bag and pulled out an orange and handed it to the little boy and thought that would be a nice gift. His mom said, well, what do you say, honey? He looked at the orange. He looked at the old man. He said, peel it. <laughs> That's not the response mom was looking for. Thank you was what she was fishing around to find. When we have something done nice for us, it is appropriate to say thank you. Sometimes we do that through thank you notes. Some of you are probably pretty good about that. Most of the rest of us are not. When we got married, we got a lot of grief. I got a lot of grief, especially from my side of the family, because thank you notes for all the wedding gifts we received were not as prompt in being sent out as my family would have liked them to have been. And I heard about it. Better, I realize sending thank you notes, saying thank you is an important thing. Sometimes you might go a step further and do something to demonstrate your thankfulness for somebody or for something that they have done to you beyond a thank you note. Maybe if you're a baker, Lisa, you bake bread or a tray of brownies or something that the preacher or somebody else likes, and they will say thank you for that. It's a tangible way of demonstrating our love and our thanks. In this letter that Paul writes to the church at Colossae, 
He's writing to remind these fellow believers that God has given them a great gift. God has offered himself and his son, Jesus Christ, and it is incumbent upon them to say thanks, to offer themselves in thanksgiving to the God who has blessed them so strongly to begin with. And so as this week comes around and we celebrate this idea of giving thanks, we ought to slow down long enough to say thank you to the God who gave us everything. You are here. You're living and breathing because God created you. We are here spiritually because God has offered himself as a gift. We are to say thanks to God. Now, here's the question. How do you thank God for a gift? Did you write God a thank you note to send it to him? You could, but the postage alone would be out of this world sending off a thank you card to God. Okay, maybe you bake something for God, right? What are you going to bake? Angel food cake? I don't know. Something, but eh, I'm not sure that's what God's looking for. Paul tells us what God is after. The way we can honor God by thanking him through our lives. And he gives us three very clear specifics. To begin with, he says, live life. Live your life to the best. Verse 6, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you should continue to follow him. One of the topics Paul is dealing with here is the tendency for believers to get lazy, to wander away from the faith. They start out strong. We've all been there. We're all pumped up about this Christianity business. And then life kind of gets in the way. Life happens and we start to get kind of a little cold. We, we kind of wander away. One thing leads to another, to another. And pretty soon we are moving down the road of life, large and in charge. And Jesus is in the rearview mirror instead of on the road alongside of us. Paul reminds us it shouldn't be that way. He tells us we should walk with Jesus. Christianity is not just about accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's about living with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. God takes us like we are, thanks be to God, but he doesn't leave us there. He wants us to grow and mature in the faith. We are headed somewhere spiritually to develop further in our growth with Christ. Suppose you're a coach. Don't you want to push your players to work, to train, to push the limits so that they can become better players? If you're a parent, don't you want to push your child so that they will grow up to be strong women and men of faith? You push them to learn the right way to live. If you're an employer, you want to mentor your employees so that they become effective and pretty soon they can lead their own organization and you can step out of the way. The same is true for God. God wants us to mature in our faith. God wants us to be all that we can be. Now looking back in my life, it's at those times 
when I have been most challenged that I have grown the best. Maybe I was challenged by a boss, maybe by a family member, a coach. I don't know, maybe I've even been challenged by God on occasion. And when God pushes us out of our comfort zone, that's when we really begin to mature in our faith. As Christians, we are to be going somewhere with our lives. One of the most common commands given by Jesus in the Gospels is to follow me. Jesus says that to Simon and Andrew, follow me. He says it to Philip and Matthew, follow me. He says that to you and to me, follow me. Now, we've talked about this before, but the word disciple literally means walking in the footsteps of. Whereas the master teacher is going down the road, the disciples, the students, are walking behind him, literally in his footsteps. That's what discipleship is all about, following the master. In the New Testament, we are told that the first name given to the Christian community, it's not the church, the first name given to the Christian community is the way, the way. It's not the finish line, it's not the end zone, it's not the winter circle. The first name given to believers is the way. We are on a life journey with Christ, and our journey is just that. It's a journey, it's not a destination. So how do you say thanks to God for the gift of his son? Well, you start by living life, living it to the fullness that Jesus wants you to live it to. Well, the second way we kind of honor God and thank him for his gift to us is to build strong. Verse 7, let your roots grow down deep into him, Paul writes, and let your lives be built on him, going down and going up. One of the saddest things to see as a pastor is a Christian who thinks they have it all figured out. They've learned their faith. They've been to Sunday school. They've read the book. They, they know all the answers. They've got their faith all nice and neatly wrapped up with a pretty bow on it, and they put it on the shelf, and they leave it there. They never push. They never develop. They don't go deeper in their desire to learn more about God. Paul says that's not the way it should be. We need to go deep. He uses two illustrations in addition to going deep and going up that give us an idea of what he's talking about. First is this idea of being rooted. If you've looked at any field with large trees, maybe oak trees or something, what you don't see, you see the big old tree, you don't see the roots roots that go deep down into the ground. They provide nourishment, they bring in nutrients and water, but they also provide stability. Through this area around Starkville, we get a lot of storms, especially in the spring and early summer, and it doesn't take a lot of driving around to find trees that have been knocked over. Their roots did not go deep enough, and when the storm came through, the tree was it was pulled over because it didn't have the stability it needed. And the same is true for our spiritual lives. If we don't have deeply, the storms of life come, 
and they will come, we will find ourselves knocked over without the stability to stand firm. Paul also tells us, though, not only do we go down so deep, we have to go up. We have to build upon what we have. Now, maybe you're building a house. Maybe you're building a store. Maybe, as in the case of Stark Bowl, you're renovating your basketball arena, and you've got to rip everything out and put it back together. Well, you want to do that with good materials. You want to have lots of good concrete, lots of good rebar, solid brick, mortar, good foundation in order for you to build up. In fact, if you go to the Colosseum and you start walking around the hump, there are the pictures of what the hump used to be when it was first built. And if you look, you see that they go down deep into the earth and then they built up to create Humphrey Colosseum. And now they're recreating that using good that will stand the test of time. The same is true for our souls. If we're going to be built up in our spiritual lives, we have to use good materials. One of the things that we use as foundational for our faith development is the books, the Bible. We need to be into the Word of God, which will provide us the foundation that we need for us to live our lives for Christ. And we also need one another. That's part of what you're doing here this morning, the community that is connected to hold one another accountable, to be there to encourage each other in the faith. Part of our faith development of building strong comes out of the opportunity to share our faith journey with one another. So in order for us to build a foundation that is strong in the Lord, we have to be able to go big with God, which requires us to build strong. That's how we say thanks to God. And then Paul also tells us finally that we've got to stand firm in the truth. Verse 7, your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. One of the issues which was prompting Paul to write this letter was a whole bunch of controversy that was going on in the church. Pagans who were outside the church were spreading lies about the Christians and about the truth of the Christian faith. And Christ of people within the church were also undermining the faith itself from within. They were leading people astray and distorting the scriptures. Paul reminds them to stand firm in this. Listen to what people are saying you know what you were taught you know how you were raised in the south you know the word that comes from god stand firm in the truth as you've been taught from the beginning there was a survey not too long ago by the barna group which does a lot of united states polls and in that poll people what about absolute truth. Is there such a thing as truth? And here's, sadly, only 28% of the people, those are Americans surveyed, expressed the belief in absolute truth. But here's the kicker. The percentage for self-avowed evangelical Christians in the church was no different. 
it was essentially the same. Just showing Jesus loving people said, well, we're not sure about absolute truth. That's devastating news, but not maybe surprising because it's not very popular these days to talk about truth. The world wants us to see truth as a relative thing. In fact, you hear people talk about my truth as though they invented their own absolute standard. That's bogus. It's God's truth. That's what we stand for. A phrase like that is just not a matter of perspective. Truth is a matter of God's view. It doesn't matter, people say, what you believe as long as you're sincere. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Those are Jesus' words. The same Jesus that John tells us was the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the one only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The very same Jesus who said, you shall know the truth and the truth sets you free. Other religions, other belief systems, have aspects of the truth that point us toward God, but only Christianity has Jesus, and Jesus is truth. It is in Christ that God fully, completely revealed himself to the world. That's the event that we're going to celebrate in December, the coming of the revelation of the truth of God in Jesus Christ to our existence. That's why that is so significant. It's not just a warm and fuzzy holiday. It is a high and holy day at Christmas. God steps into our world to show us an absolute way. That's the truth that we witness to. That's the truth that we proclaim in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 4, verse 15, Paul writes, that as we speak the truth in love, we grow in our Christ-likeness. And he goes on to say in 2 Timothy, quote, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Truth is not a hammer. Truth is an invitation, an invitation to a life that is overflowing with God's love and grace. And we should never be reluctant to share that invitation. One more letter Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. When we declare our belief in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, people will look to us to see what we stand for. They will look to us and evaluate us to see who we stand for. And if we're not standing clear for Jesus, then who in the world are we standing for? How do you say thanks to God for the gift of His Son? By standing firm in the truth that God gives us through Christ Jesus. Live life, build strong, stand firm. 
that's Paul's instructions to them and for us as well. We who are here this morning are all the recipients of somebody else's legacy that has gone before us, that has done those things. Whether it's nurturing children, helping youth develop into women and men of faith, serving and the needy and the poor in our community, or even leading one another to grow in our own discipleship. Those are the things that people have done to invest in us so that we would be drawn to this place this morning. We can say thanks to God by living that same life and then turning around and doing the same for others, investing in young people, serving those in our community, committing to growing strong in our faith. Live life, build strong, stand firm. That's how we serve. Let's do it this week, Thanksgiving and all the time. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? God, thanks for all your grace. Thanks for giving us an opportunity to live lives that are demonstrating to the world a thankfulness in you. We ask that you work in us and through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Things may be accomplished in Christ our Lord.